Well, would you turn your Bibles with me tonight to First, First Kings chapter 8. I'm going to change the text that's in the bulletin a little bit. We're still going to be in First Kings chapter 8. We are going to begin in verse 62, but we're going to move ahead a little bit further into chapter 9, verse 9. 1 Kings chapter 8, and I, I am sorely tempted to go back to the beginning of the chapter and read through it as we did last week. It is, it is a prayer, um, and... I really do encourage you, seriously, to uh, maybe someday this week, just, just dip into 1 Kings 8, whatever your other Bible reading is, and think about not just how Solomon prays, that's really, that's one thing, but think about or notice how much is said about God, um, how much is said about God's character and so forth in this prayer. He's, he's dead on right, and he's bringing forward, as we learned last week, a lot of biblical history. It's a moving, beautiful, passionate, exalted prayer. And it's giving thanks to God for his faithfulness to his word. But tonight we're going to look at uh, the last part of chapter 8 and into chapter 9, verse 9. And I remind you again that the verses and the chapters are very helpful in our Bibles, but they are not inspired uh, and inerrant. So, so don't, don't ever feel like, oh no, there's a chapter there, I can't combine those two. I, I violate, if that's a rule, I violate it all the time, um, and it's okay. So let's, let's, if Solomon has prayed his prayer, this is at the dedication of the building of the temple, and this is a joyous scene, he's been, been praying in front of all the people, been holding out his hands and kneeling in a form of adoration and humility, lifting up his voice and praying to God. And now we have, at the close of this moving section, we have these words. Now the king and all Israel with him were offering sacrifices before Yahweh. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot to remind you. I'm I'm reading out of uh, this Legacy Standard Version, which is very similar to yours. It's just helpful, I think, to, in this case, use the Hebrew word for God in the Old Testament, which is Yahweh. So we're, we're not a cult. This isn't something weird or wacky. This is, you've heard maybe Jehovah. This is just the name of God in the Old Testament um, in Hebrew. Now the king turned, and all Israel with him were offering sacrifices before Yahweh. And Solomon offered for the sacrifices of peace offerings, which he offered to Yahweh, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep, So the king and all the sons of Israel dedicated the house of Yahweh. On the same day, the king set apart as holy the middle of the court that was before the house of Yahweh, because there he offered the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat of the peace offering. For the bronze altar that was before Yahweh was too small to hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat of the peace offerings. So Solomon celebrated the feast at that time. And all Israel with him, a great assembly from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Egypt, before Yahweh our God for seven days and seven more days, even fourteen days. And on the eighth day he sent the people away, and they blessed the king. Then they went to their tents with gladness and goodness of heart, because of all the goodness that Yahweh had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people." Now it happened when Solomon had completed building the house of Yahweh 
and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to do, that Yahweh, the Lord, appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And Yahweh said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I have set apart as holy this house which you have built by putting my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying, You shall not have a man cut off from the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons indeed turn away from following me, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have given before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and the house which I have set apart as holy for my name. I will cast out of my presence. So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples, and this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will feel desolate and hiss and say, Why has Yahweh done this, thus and thus, to this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they forsook Yahweh their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and took hold of other gods and worshipped and served them. Therefore Yahweh has brought all this calamity on them. Amen. Well, in this passage, we see a little bit of an after comment on this moving scene with the dedication, the completion of the building of the temple and the dedication of the temple. And in this section, the reason why I extended it to chapter 9, verse 9, is because the Solomon and the people, um, they, they rejoice that the house, the temple for God has been completed the presence of God visible in this dark cloud that comes and fills the temple and they respond and they seek God and they pray to God and at the close of this section we see that God is in fact unlike the gods of the world the idols of the world he is a living God so that when Solomon prays to him he's not praying to a post he is praying to God the living God and we do need to remember that as well that when we pray We're not just tossing up some words. We are speaking to the unseen living God. But I especially wanted to uh, extend our study tonight to chapter 9, verse 9, because maybe, as I read, maybe you picked up in this section, and even in last week, the the previous section, the emphasis on the heart. And I, I think this whole section we could maybe title as heart worship. Heart worship. That is what God is after. That is what Solomon and the people evidence on this day, this rather not just day, one day, 14 days it ended up being, and on the 15th day, I suppose the eighth day of the second seven days, uh, Solomon said, you know, that's enough. So you got to go home and, and uh, you know, this is, this is uh, uh, Solomon was quite wealthy, but, you know, treating everybody to a barbecue for 14 days, I'm sure it gets a little pricey. So that's really, it's really what this was, by the way. I mean, many of us enjoy barbecues and, um, 
you know, whether it be town or fair or church and so forth, that's, this is a joyous occasion. It's a solemn scene when, David, when Solomon is praying. But this is, this is a God-centered, joyous assembly feast. And, um, but they see God, but then we see that God, in turn, responds and to his people. Now, before I, I forget, I, I do want to say, of course, we're not expecting when we pray to God these days, uh, speak to God, that God is going to audibly speak to us or meet with us as he did with Solomon. We believe that God has, in the Bible, spoken to us, and especially in his Son, and that his revelation to his people for this time is completed. Uh, and because if God is going to show up to you and give you a message, and you, I'm really going to meet with you, that's the word of God. And you better write that down and share that with the rest of us, and we're going to add that to the book of Revelation. But if we do that, then we get in trouble with Jesus because he has some rather strong words to say about those who add to this book. So God is not going to respond audibly and to visit us in that way, but nonetheless, we should expect that when a man or a woman who loves Jesus and a church that loves Jesus and loves God, seeks God earnestly, seeks his face, we should expect that God is inclined towards us, that he hears us, and that he is not indifferent, but that he actually acts, that he answers prayer, and that his heart is moved to his people, towards his people. Well, the heart here, I didn't count how many times the heart was mentioned But you can even see back up in chapter 8, verse 58, for example, you see that Solomon prayed that may God be with us, that he may incline our hearts to himself, his hearts. Verse 61, let your heart therefore be wholly devoted to Yahweh our God and to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as at this day. Over in, for example, verse 66, they blessed the king, they went to their tents with gladness and goodness of heart. And then God, in his response to Solomon, um, says in verse 4, As for you, if you walk before me as your father walked in integrity of heart. So I'm not even hitting all of them, but there's an emphasis on heart loyalty, heart worship of God. The heart in the biblical Hebrew worldview is not merely the emotions. It's, it's, the, it's the will and the affection and the mind and the, and the emotions. It's all wrapped up in the heart. It's, it's the core of who you are, your will and your affections. To love God, to serve Him. And we are certainly called in this passage to examine ourselves as to whether our worship of God uh, is merely routine, going through the motions, even as perhaps conservative, Bible-believing, maybe even Reformed Christians, you know, um, that we remember that that, that, that that is good. All those things that I just said are good. I, I hope those things, I'm conservative, I, I uh, hope. I do think of myself as reformed and so forth. And, um, but what God's after at the end of the day is none of those labels, as helpful as they may be. He, he's after the heart, a heart for him. And it is 
too easy, isn't it, as a Christian, to become just accustomed to routine and to not give our hearts to the Lord. So heart worship. God is after the heart, the heart of a man or woman. He wants nothing less than heart from the heart. But sometimes folks come away with funny ideas about heart worship. They come up with ideas that, well, if it's the heart, then what that means is just this mystical, gooey, um, uh, ethereal, uh, undefined, uh, maybe just pure emotion. And actually, we see in this section that heart worship involves all that a man or woman is. It actually involves uh, some of the things that some people say, oh, no, 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 that's not, it's not what matters. For example, let me just give you a few illustrations tonight as we just look at heart worship for a few moments together. First of all, this is going back a little bit to last week's passage, but you see that heart worship is not over and against obedience. For example, verse 16, 61. Let your heart be wholly devoted to Yahweh our God, to walk in His statutes and to keep His commandments. Over to chapter 9. God calls Solomon again to walk before Him like his father David in integrity of heart and, and uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you to keep my statutes and my judgments. So there are too many professing Christians who have an idea of, oh yeah, God knows my heart, meaning I just have maybe a feeling for him once in a while, but he doesn't really require obedience with that. And we see here, I just want you to see, that heart worship, a life of, with a heart for God, that your heart is actually expressed in and through obedience. And in God's statutes, in His commandments, and in His laws. I mean, think about it. How many of us as Christ, professing Christians today, these days, are actually concerned about God's statutes, God's commands, and God's ways? Don't hear much about it. I'm, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm reflecting myself. I'm thinking, how much lately have I... Have I thought really about God's commandments? Now, hopefully we're reading our Bibles, we're learning, we're growing, and some of God's ways and His commands for us just become part and parcel of our lives. But I think it's an accurate observation that, again, modern Christianity, you ask a Christian if what place God's rules, commandments, statutes play in our lives, and they probably will start to think legalism, right? Legalism. Well, no. He's God. He's king. And heart affection for God is expressed through, in part, obedience. So heart worship is not opposed to obedience. They are, they are together. Um, another uh, uh, thing that people might say is that if, if there's heart worship, um, well, it doesn't really matter if I go to church or not, or I go to the worship church assembly or not, or if I attend the study or, or, you know, what God knows my heart. And I mean, I have heard this too many times. And um, I, How many times have I heard, well, I really worship God when I'm out among the trees. 
Look, I, I, there's few people like walking out among the trees as much as I do. I love that. I was just out this afternoon uh, on the pair of skis. It was cross-country, and it was just in the trees. I love the trees. I look at the trees, and I don't worship the trees. I worship the God who made the trees. But uh, people who say to me, well, you know, I don't really need to go to church. You know, the outdoors, that's, that's, my, that's my worship. Well, if by that you mean you're obeying God and you worship him wherever you are, whenever you, oh, that's good. But I want you to notice in verses 63 through 66 that this heart worship, and this is held up to us as a good thing. This is a good moment. There's nothing here about this was a, a hypocritical moment for Solomon and the people. I mean, this is one of the few moments in Israel's history where it seems as though they're really sincere, they're full of joy, they're in it with all their heart. There's no inkling here in the text that there's a fly in the ointment. I mean, that's so rare. It's just pure good. And we should take a deep breath and say, oh, that's wonderful, that's so good. And it really, you know, there were occasions among God's people, and even in the past, when, I mean, you might call this a revival of sorts. And it was just good, and it was just pure. But what I want you to notice here is that their heart was expressed in some very basic things. Uh, for example, first of all, getting up, taking their body to the place <laughs> where I'm doing this because you know I'm just where because we're embodied beings. And you've heard me talk about this a lot lately, but I want you to know this. There's an emphasis on the great assembly. Heart worship is expressed through these bodies that God made. It's not set over and against. It's not one or the other. And so you hear people say, you know, well, what really matters? God doesn't really care about, you know, the size of the crowd or the attendance. He really cares about the heart Oh boy, we, we've gone way too far in that direction. We need to remind people that God actually made you with a heart and a body, and he actually wants to use the body. Um, he, he wants, and you've heard me say this a lot. You notice that they were there with their bodies. They assembled. It was a vast crowd, and it was a joy. And so we sometimes say that as a church, you know, we're not after big numbers, and obviously we're not. Um, and if we are, we're not doing so good. But, you know, we, we understand that it's about um, obedience to the Lord. We're not trying to attract a crowd. That's what we mean. I mean, you can do things to attract a crowd. It's, it's really not that hard. Just rent a helicopter and start dropping eggs, and, you know, you try to attract a crowd. And, um, you know, we're not after crowds in that way. However, we should remember that as uncomfortable as some of us are in larger crowds, that it would actually be a wonderful thing if God moved in the hearts of unredeemed sinners in this area, won them to Christ, and not just our church, but other gospel churches in this area started to be filled. It would be wonderful. It, it would be a revival. And, you know, we do not want to say, oh, man, God's bringing so many people into his kingdom. It's, it's just, <laughs> I like it back when it was a little group. <laughs> and <laughs> I understand that. We are very comfortable with each other. We, we love it. We're like a family, and we know that. Be, but we have to remember that, 
that actually it's a, it, it's a wonderful thing. That an assembly is not opposed to heart worship. That you can have sincere heart worship even with a large assembly. God willing, I'm hoping to go to the Shepherds Conference and planning to in March. There'll be about 4,000, 5,000 pastors and church leaders from all around the world. And uh, the men who have been there uh, on several occasions can testify that it, there are a few things like being in a room with three to 4,000 men who love God and who are singing with all their heart. So, so don't let anyone tell you, and I think you know this, that heart worship is set over and against physical involvement, as if the assembly or a being there doesn't matter. Heart worship also involves uh, cost and expense. You see here that both Solomon and the people gave much for the worship of God. There were so many offerings brought in verse, um, verses 63 to 66 that Solomon actually had to make an adjustment. I mean, he had made a, a large temple complex. Uh, the, the altar that he had made for the various sacrifices was not a small altar. And yet the response of the people to God's faithfulness to his covenant to David was so overwhelming that there's like 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Well, listen, there's a lot of people who are, are feasting. And, and the oxen and the sheep would be slaughtered as unto the Lord. Some of those sacrifices would be entirely burnt offering sacrifices. Other parts of them, the priests would eat them. But this was a joyous occasion, and they had beef and lamb kebabs for, for, for dinner. Day after day, it was just a feast, joy. And there's a lot of people. It is a vast assembly, we are told. And so the bronze altar, verse 64, was too small to hold the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat peace offerings. So our heart is expressed through also our generosity and our giving to the Lord's work. Just, it just is. It's just, you know, we don't talk a lot about giving us per se, and, and, but it just, and this church, you all, I don't know who gives what, but this church has just been characterized by generosity, but it, it just needs to be said that, that, <laughs> God sees our heart in part through how we use our resources. It's, it's the way it is. It's, our heart is expressed in what we have, whether we have much or whether we have little. It doesn't matter, but God does uh, worship involves, heart worship involves generous giving. Lastly tonight, I want you to see in verses nine, chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, I want you to see, we've already noticed that heart worship involves obedience. It involves obedience, but it, and it, but it also involves both gratitude for God's grace and fear of God's warnings. Gratitude for God's grace and fear of God's warnings. There are some who I, I, I don't hear, you know, I'm not saying this is actually said, but in, again, in the name of, of grace, it's as though in the new covenant times that there are no warnings that we need to be worried about. 
because it's it's all heart worship it's all grace and and it's god just loves you no matter what you do now there's some truth to that right i mean his 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 love for us in christ is is not you know going up and down based on oh you're doing pretty good it's going up going down going down however we do see in the new covenant new testament that god is both pleased and displeased with christians with churches who are professing christ and there is warning in the new testament just as there is to to solomon here god spends quite a bit of time he affirms his covenant with david and with solomon in verse four and five that if solomon walks before god in integrity of heart loyalty god will fulfill his word and his covenant that covenant was god made to david there was parts of it that were um, that were dependent upon david's obedience and solomon's obedience there are parts of it that were unilateral in other words those things that god said that he'll do uh, irrespective of what david would do or solomon for example god would cause one of david's descendants to sit on his throne forever that wasn't qualified on david or solomon's obedience however in verses six through nine god issues a very severe warning if your sons indeed turn away from following me, do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I given before you and go and serve other gods and worship them. I will cut Israel off from the land. He'll tear down the house. It is a very severe warning. All the more so when you consider, as we studied Isaiah uh, well, a couple of years ago now, that's exactly what God did. You know this if you've read your Bible. He first sent the northern tribes, well, first tore the kingdom, we'll see from Solomon, his sons. He tore it in ten tribes in the north, two in the south. Then eventually God caused the ten tribes in the north to be scattered by the Assyrians and eventually by the Babylonians. They came and they conquered the southern kingdom. They absolutely destroyed and burned uh, Solomon's temple to dust. And it was such a wreck that people looked at it like a wasteland and a joke it's actually what happened to the very word what god said he would do if they turned from him is exactly what he did and we have warnings in the new testament that we need to fear jesus to the churches in the book of revelation warning them various things to to return to their first love and so on we are even as new covenant people we are those who have gratitude for the grace of god but we also need to keep a healthy fear for the warnings of god if this church at any time whether it be under our watch while we are all here or in the future should the lord tarry turn from the lord and his word um, go off then that building or wherever the church is at that time is just going to become i'm not saying god's going to cause a fireball to come down and and toast it but it'll just become like the other relics that are dotting new hampshire and i say relics because you see a lot of these beautiful old buildings all around these 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 congregations that long ago turned from any intention of actually obeying god's word 
First of all, they're empty. They're dying, literally. This, this beautiful brick building over here, near us, huge, once sat hundreds of people, nearly a thousand probably, back in the 1800s. And many of them probably were truly God-fearing, Christ-loving people back then. That place is a relic with a handful of people in it, and they're going to sell it, probably try to. Why? You think that's just bad times, or do you think God's active in judgment upon churches that turn from him? Turn from the Lord, and there's warning. So, so we see here that heart worship of God means that we are rejoicing, as they are in this passage, with gratitude for his faithfulness, but it also means that we just remember that he is God, and we take heed to his warning. Of course, Solomon didn't. And as we go forward in 1 Kings, we're going to see that, and it's going to be a hard, uh, hard thing for us to witness. But the heart matters. And heart, the heart, heart worship matters, and don't believe what everybody says about uh, if it's all about the heart, it doesn't necessarily include anything else. Can I just close with a little bit of a humorous um, illustration from Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary, which is, as always, so helpful. Um, he suggested that, uh, um, oh no, if I find the page. Oh dear. I thought I had the bookmark in the right place. Well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't share it. I, he shared an illustration that was rather humorous about sometimes the way that God people talk about um, you know, for example, whether it's heart worship or other things, is a little bit like deciding whether you're going to go out of your house with your pants and your shirt or just one. <laughs> right? We don't ever say, "Well, boy, you know, if if it's your <laughs> if if you're you know if it's if it's you're sincere, just one or the other." No, we we understand that it. it's both. <laughs> don't especially this time of year. Um, we want everybody to go out with both. Uh, their, their trousers, as he says, and the shirt. So be careful as you hear sometimes zealous people say, well, if it's all about the heart, dot, 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 doesn't really matter. Oh, no. The heart is expressed through our entire redeemed humanity that God has given to us. Let's pray. So, Lord, we pray now that we would love you with all our heart. We confess that we don't as yet. We take heart that we will. We, we, we are encouraged that you have begun a good work in us and you will bring it to completion. So we do pray that you forgive us for the ways in which we don't love you as we should. Forgive us for sometimes forgetting your laws and commands and living as though we are our own little ruler. Help us to walk in your ways joyfully with thankfulness and gratitude. Help us to bear up with the scorn and and false charges that others might place upon us. We pray that you would help us to walk before you in joy, that joy and gladness in the Lord Jesus would be our primary uh, experience as uh, the privilege of children of God. But we pray, too, that you'll never let us lose sight of your warnings and that we would fear you and that we would express that by walking before you carefully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.